We're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 this morning. If you guys want to turn your Bibles to there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I've titled my sermon today, Us Against the World. And we're just going to jump right into the text this morning. And then we'll start diving in and, and seeing what it all means. Uh, verse 12 starts with, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you and his names for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I, write, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. <clears throat> We're going through the, uh, we go verse by verse uh, here at Verbatim Church. We're at Calvary Chapel, and, and this is where we are in our text this morning. Kind of a heavy conversation that we're going to have this morning on worldliness. You guys ready to jump into that? It's been such an awesome study uh, so far in the book of 1 John uh, and really the theme John is trying to give us is that the importance of having this fellowship with God, making sure that we have a loving, growing relationship with a living God. And, and it's not just something that we know him, but not know, or that we know of him, but we don't actually know him, that we have this actual relationship that's of a loving nature. <clears throat> We've looked at making sure we, uh, John's making sure we understand that we know who God is, where his heart's at, where he's coming from in this. John wants us to know that Jesus is real. We saw that at the beginning of our text. And it's only because Jesus is real and alive that we can have that relationship. You can't have a relationship with a dead man. And we've seen him compare and contrast this relationship to lightness and darkness where the light is walking with God and, and darkness is walking away from God and you can't really live both lives. And last week we saw, we started seeing John kind of unpack some of this stuff and say, this is what it means to have this relationship with God. These are some things you should be doing. If you love me, you're gonna love my people. You're gonna love your brother. You're not gonna hate people. <clears throat> and so last week was really focused on, here's what you should be loving, your brother. Uh, and then we get to a point today, which is, here's what you shouldn't be loving. And that's the world. We're not talking about the physical earth. The Bible kind of uses three, the earth, the world, 
three different times. It's God created the earth. Uh, then he talks about the people of the earth. This is not the case here. When the Bible talks about this kind uh, of the world, when he uses the word the world here, it's talking about a spiritual opposition against Christ that's led by Satan. And the Bible says that Satan has dominion over this world. He's the, uh, John 12, 31 says, uh, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of the world. And that's what we're talking about here is the spiritual opposition, uh, this force that is everything that's not of God. And that's the condition of the world that we live in. That's the world we live in. They, they don't want anything to do with God. It's the opposite. <clears throat> oh, that was kind of funny. I looked up the definition of worldliness uh, in the Oxford Dictionary and it said the quality of being experienced and sophisticated. But that's exactly what society would want you to think about what worldliness is. Is you live in the society and the more experiences you have in the world and the more you get to go out and, and do things and experience new seasons and different religions and different backgrounds, uh, the better off you're gonna be, the more higher in society you'll be. Worldliness is like a disease in a lot of ways. <clears throat> the world thinks that consuming, um, <laughs> if, if you consume more world, that you're gonna be, your status is gonna increase. You guys notice there's, it's, it's celebrated now. It's, it's pretty sick. Kids get out of high school and it's celebrated by adults, people everywhere uh, that these kids are supposed to get out of high school and, and go just ex have this adventure time. Just go out and explore yourself and figure out who you really are. The Bible tells us who we are. We're, we're children of God. But there's this lie being told. And it's crazy that our society just pushes these young adults, these kids in such vulnerable positions that aren't with their, they're essentially leaving their home for the first time and they're being told by their teachers, their parents, uh, the people around them, don't go plug into a church. Go out into the world. Go party. Go do stupid stuff until you settle down. You'll have time. You'll have time all your life to to have kids and get married. Right now, it's all about you. Go. You just go have a good time. And what a crock. And what a scary thing that that is that society is teaching these young people. Most of you probably know, I was the youth pastor here. I still am very involved with youth. I have a passion for this subject. I could talk all day on just the world and how they're just doing our youth so dirty right now. And you just see the world just being more worldly as we go on. And, and it's because, because the people of the world are just teaching the next generation that it's okay to just go off and, and, and hopefully you'll find your way back. But good luck with that. But that's the breakdown. <clears throat> I've seen it firsthand. I, 
I experienced it firsthand. I grew up in a youth group. And the first thing, it, I was, it was being pushed. You got to go to college. Lucky for me, I was too poor to, to go to college for more than nine months. So um, unlucky for me, that, that just means I went out and got a job and could spend money on stupid stuff. Um, but I lived in that world. And it's that world where you just, I went to work and then got off and went and did stupid stuff with my friends, partied and, and got into all sorts of trouble. <clears throat> Unfortunately, most people, it's only by the grace of God that I got out of that lifestyle. There's so many, I know kids that went, grew up in youth group with me that never made it out, that might call themselves maybe that they know God, but they're not walking with God. And that kills me. It kills me that kids that are growing up in Christian homes go out on their own and, and just and lose their salvation. It's a statistic I don't have in front of me, but the st statistic is alarming. The amount of kids who grow up in Christian homes who go off to college and lose their salvation. It's alarming. <clears throat> and that's the breakdown though. That's what the world does to us. That's what we're gonna see in our message today that <clears throat> the breakdown is that we, we get to go out on our own. We get to go out on our world. I'm talking about young adults, but this can happen. Anything in our life can spark this thing where we need to go out and, and, and consume more world. We think we need to fit in with society and, and the cultural norms, and that could be farther from the truth. <clears throat> it's not that joyfulness that we saw in verse four in chapter one that only comes with having that relationship with God. We're gonna see in our text today that, that that's, a, that's something that happens with joy. It's a substitute. It's a sinful substitute of that joy. And the lie that comes with that is, uh, is that you can find joy in other stuff. You can find joy in, in other things. You can, you can oh, you know, you're, if you're cool with God, that's fine. But you, man, you still need to go out and experience the world or, or some other lies creep in. The watered down gospel that's being taught to these kids where it's, well, yeah, no, you can, you can love God and God loves you, which is true. God does love you. He doesn't love your sinful lifestyle <laughs> that we need to be working on repenting and turning around and, and going the other way with. But that's the lie being taught to some of these young people as they go out and experience this world for the first time on their own. This lie that you can find joy in other scenarios is absolutely insane. And it's, it's, it's a pandemic. It's a pandemic right now. But the solution is that we have the full grace and full truth of Jesus. And how do we get that to, to these people? That's the question. How do we turn this around? And I think the only way to turn it around is to uh, display the full grace and truth to others. Be that light that we've talked about multiple times the last few weeks, reflecting the light of Jesus onto these people that are just walking in such a dark place. <clears throat> but as we jump into scripture today, 
John's really laying out three important reasons why we as Christians can't be lovers of the world. We cannot be lovers of the world. It's because of who we are as Christians, but not only that, it's because of what the world does to us and where the world's going. Verse 17 talks about where the world's gonna go. And so if you're a note taker, I suggest you do take notes. Really helpful for retaining some information. Um, Point number one that John's talking about is because of who we are, our identity in Christ. 12 through 14 just says, I write you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake, for his glory, our sins are forgiven. I think it's worth noting here, just in this first verse that we're gonna look at, that all of these things kind of repeat. I don't think that's a, uh, that's not, that's, that's not a mistake, or that, that is not a mistake, that's on purpose. And it's even worth noting that the little children he's talking about the first time is a different word in the Greek the second time. And really the first time we see this word little children, he's talking about uh, a more broad, he's talking about the whole church. He's referred, as he's done a few times already in First John and, and he did throughout John, he's talking about church. So he says, I write you church because your sins are forgiven for his glory. But then he says, I write you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write you little children. This time really referring to little children as another Greek word that really uh, really means like young people in training, essentially. Really referring to more of a specific young person. And I write you little children because you have known the father. I have written you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. And this whole thing seems a little bit out of place in our Bibles. It even, in my Bible at least, it even kind of like, it goes line for line. It, 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 it really looks like a poem, kind of written like a psalm in there. And it really just seems like, well, John was just talking about love and it would seem right that he would just go right into like, all right, now that you know that you need to love each other, let's talk about what you don't need to love the world. But he throws this little piece in here. <clears throat> right in between, it's a little digress. And uh, I think it's just our reminder that John needed to throw in there to say, that who we are matters. He wanted us to know that this message is for Jesus followers. And he kind of paints this picture of a couple different, like this, the family of God and how there's children in the family of God and young people in the family of God and, and father figures in the family of God. And he's not talking about the spiritual, or he's not talking about a physical picture. He's not referring to actual fathers, uh, He's not referring to the kids back in kids' ministry. It's a spiritual picture. And he's putting us all in these categories and saying, this is, these are the people that make up the family of God. These are the children of God. And they're all at different places in their walk spiritually. And that has nothing to do with their physical appearance or their parental status or anything like that. Uh, has nothing to do with physical growth. 
There's young people that are very spiritually mature. And then there's old people that aren't so spiritually mature. <clears throat> but he lays out where we are <clears throat> as Jesus followers. Some of us are like little children still in the church. It's not a bad thing, but this is where, where you're at in your walk. You might be a little mature, might not have a lot of experience as a Jesus follower, might be new to this whole thing. But if you're following God, you're part of God's family and you're in the photo. And we're, we're so happy to have you here. We're so happy to have you as a part of God's family. And, and they're celebrating up in heaven that, that your name's in that book of life, that you're in this family photo uh, that John kind of describes here. <clears throat> Some of us are more like the young men and women, uh, strong enough to over, kind of stand on our own two feet, to overcome the enemy, uh, because we've had a little bit of experience. We've been in the word. We know what the word's kind of saying. We're able to kind of point some things out and being like, okay, well, I know what the word says on this, so... I'm going to try to avoid that. That's, I think, where a lot of us are, you know, and, and that's great. It says we're strong and we overcome. That's where, that's where we want to be. We want to be able to overcome things when they come up. We want to be able to avoid the spiritual attack when it happens. We want to be able to uh, resist the temptations that we're going to look at in, the, in our next verses of, of the world. Then it says, uh, some of us are fathers and, and mothers. These are the people that have been around the block. They've seen some stuff. They got experience. They got a lot of spiritual experience. They can look back on their life. Even says, I've known you from the beginning, that you have known them from the beginning. <clears throat> because they've got that experience. I even like how John is an older guy himself. He's, he's like 90 to 100 years old when he's writing this. And he might actually be talking to some of these like first generation saints that may have been around close to the time of Jesus. And so he might literally be saying to some of these people, you've known him from the beginning. But it's kind of cool to see there's kind of almost three generations of people and, and it's kind of like the third generation of early church that we're, that we're seeing here. <clears throat> but we're all at different maturity levels, spiritual maturity levels. And God's just happy to have you in this, in this picture. It's not about where we're at right now, but, it, but that, doesn't, that doesn't matter to God. What does matter to God is where we're going though. The, uh, we want to continue to grow. We need to continue to grow. We need to abide in his word. <clears throat> First Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. We can't sit in a position of being a, a, a little child forever. That's great that you're that you're here. It's great that you're that that you you've been born again. You've been born again and you're in this family. But if you're a little child, 
Keep growing. It's time to learn, time to grow up. And if you're a father, that doesn't mean you get to stop. That doesn't mean you get to just say, well, I think I've reached a place where I'm doing pretty well. So I don't, don't think I need to read the word anymore. Growth, spiritual growth is not an absolute. It's something you have to work at, something you have to walk. And there's no limit. There's no promise of spiritual growth and there's no limit to spiritual growth. So fathers keep growing. But there's all three of these groups represented in our church here. And probably even some that aren't in the photo. Could be some that aren't even in the photo. They're not born again. They're not part of God's family yet. And we pray for you today will be the day that that you can join this family and be born again. But I think what John's message here is, is that this is a message for everybody. This isn't something that the the older saints need to ignore. This isn't something that the, you know, the younger saints don't get a pass because they're, they're spiritually immature. Well, we'll give you a pass. No, that's not how it works. I love that Christianity, Jesus's teachings apply to everybody and they're not changing. They're not a different set of rules for a different status symbol. We're all equals and we're all just supposed to be growing. That's the only only thing Jesus wants from us to be growing closer to him. And I like what he says after each one, you know, it doesn't matter where we're at, but we've experienced that love of God. There's the reasons we, we need to avoid the world. And the reasons he's writing this to us is because we know Jesus, we know the love that Jesus has for us. If we know Jesus, we know that his intentions are good because of what he, he proved that to us. It's not something we earned. It's not something we deserve. It's out of the love and the glory for him. I like the first part where it says, for his name's sake, for his glory is the reason that we're forgiven. But because we've experienced the love of God, because we've overcome Satan, uh, because we've known God, because we've felt the Holy Spirit, these are the reasons that this message is for us is because we should know better. No one is safe from temptation, not the newbies, not the seasoned veterans and anybody in between. I like the story of Asa. I don't have a lot of time to tell the full story today, but um, 2 Chronicles 14, 15, and 16, go read that this week. Uh, it's about a king named Asa. It says Asa did right, or Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Asa was removing false idols. He was just on fire for God and, and, and doing a lot of things that the other kings of Israel failed to do in the past. And God saw that and he said, this is good. And there was a season of Asa's reign where there was no war for 35 years. There was peace and the kingdom thrived. Uh, But the Bible says in his old years, he started to slip up. 
Imagine a guy like that who's seen firsthand kind of the goodness of God and have seen that and, and he starts, even him starts to slip up. <clears throat> and it says that he ended up relying on other people and not relying on God. And, and because of that, war came back and he ended up dying at a pretty early age because he didn't, because he says he didn't rely on God. So who are we? We're children of God. And as children of God, we're called to be different and set apart from the world. Amen. Number two is because of the, what the world does to us. We need to resist the world because of what the world does to us. Verses 15 and 16 say, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. <clears throat> so we need to ask, what is worldliness? I found no better example than Warren Wearsby. This blew me away when I saw this. It was like, I don't know how anybody could ever come up with a more practical definition of worldliness. Uh, write this down in your Bibles. I don't care. Write it on your hand. Um, Get it tattooed on your forehead. Anything in a Christian's life that causes them to lose their enjoyment of the Father's love or their desire to do the Father's will. Worldliness is anything in the Christian's life that causes them to lose their enjoyment of the Father's love or their desire to do the Father's will. What a powerful definition of of what worldliness does to us, this condition that living in the world will, will do to us. Worldliness is a tricky one because it takes different forms for different people, right? Because we all have different values on, on things in our life. And it's not always things viewed as harmful. Sometimes we can just look at worldliness and we go, oh, that's money or, you know, that's porn or looking at women we're not supposed to be looking at or uh, anything like that. Bad, you know, watching bad stuff on TV or um, it's not always stuff like that. In the worldliness. <clears throat> I caught myself this week having to check myself. I was, uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I play some chess every now and then. Wallace knows. <laughs> but I like to play a game of chess every now and then uh, in the evenings or in the mornings. But I caught myself this week. Uh, I'm not a very good chess player. I'll just say that. Right. I went to a tournament and, and got very humbled by like some 12 year olds that are actually good at chess. I'm not a very good chess player, but I found myself this week. I played a few games on my day off last Monday and, and ended up like, I was like on a, like an eight game winning streak in chess. And I was just like the best chess player of all time. <laughs> And like got a little bit obsessed with it. I was like, I can't stop playing. I'm, I'm so good. I ended up like playing 20 games of chess. I was just like, had to check myself and go like, this isn't something uh, that's the desire. That's, this is something that's causing me to probably not be a very good parent or husband or uh, pastor even. And I had to just be like, man, I got to, I took my chessboard and I set it up on my shelf and just said, I need to just step away from this for a second. The pride of life getting to my head that I just had to continue just like, man, I'm, I'm winning. Loving this, but 
But it was like, that's worldly. You don't really think of chess as something worldly. You usually think of a game of like logic and can help your brain. And But that's the trap. But worldly things, I mean, music, exercise, hobbies, uh, social media, your image, somebody else's image, the list goes on of just things of this world. But we can run things through this filter and say anything in a Christian's life that causes you to lose your enjoyment of the Father's love or your desire to do the Father's will is something that probably shouldn't be in your life, probably something you should be turning from, avoiding. This isn't new. This is the three traps that John really says about worldliness is the lust of flesh, the lust of eyes, and the pride of life. And you see all three of these things kind of laid out in the, uh, in the fall of the humanity, the first sin, Genesis 3.6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, stop right there, that's the lust of flesh. She thought about how good that fruit looked, what it would taste like and how it would satisfy her, her fleshly desire. Then it says that it was pleasant to her eyes, the lust of the eyes. The fruit looked good. Maybe it looked pretty. Probably didn't look like a potato. I don't know what the fruit looked like, but... It said that it was pleasant to look at, the lust of the eyes. Then it says, and the tree desirable to make one wise. That's the pride of life. They're in the Garden of Eden. They don't have anything to, they need to prove. No reason that she needs to be this old, powerful, wise being. She had God right next to her. But the pride of life says, no, you need that wisdom. You need that. So it's something that's been around since the beginning of humanity and something that's not going away anytime soon. What does the world do to us? It attracts us to sinful substitutes. The trap of worldliness can bring you into a pretty dark place where it's just, maybe you just find yourself doing an action or, or, or just dabbling in something of worldliness, and eventually it just grabs on. It's like a disease. It just gets worse and worse. And we can see a pretty good example of that in the Old Testament. Uh, Lot, who first looked at Sodom and just said, I wonder what's going on over there. Looks like fun. But then pitches a tent in the valley next to Sodom then ends up living in Sodom and then just ends up thriving in Sodom. Just says he's at the gates, just living his best life in Sodom. Um, We gotta make sure that we're constantly asking ourselves if the things we're desiring, looking at or doing are causing us to lose our enjoyment of God's love or that desire to please and obey God. Number three is verse 17, and it's because of where the world is going. And verse 17 just wraps here and says, the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. 
The world is not a permanent thing. I hope you guys know that. And we should be praising God that this world is not permanent. There's something way better for us than, than this. We're, uh, Hebrews eleven thirteen says, we're just strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We're just here for a season. <clears throat> and so you look at worldliness and you go, why would I want to be involved in something that's gonna be passing away and not be involved in something that is gonna be forever? It says the will of God abides forever. He who does the will of God will abide forever. Why would we put our enjoyment, our status, our trust in, into worldliness when it's, when we, the Bible says right here, it's, it's just temporary. Why would we do that? <clears throat> I thought about a situation recently. I've had a family member that needed a place to stay, uh, had a bad living situation. Brian and I are so blessed by our house, but it's a three-bedroom house. It fits our family of six pretty well, but it doesn't fit any, any more real well without knocking down walls or something. But, you know, when you have family members in need, you help them. And so we opened our door to this family member and we said, you know, we both knew it was temporary. It was a temporary situation. And she ended up living kind of in our like kids' playroom for a, a month and a half. It obviously wasn't ideal for anybody, but could you imagine how ludicrous it would be if I, for something that was temporary, for something we knew wouldn't, wouldn't last forever, if I just started like investing money I don't have and uh, resources and time into like adding a room on for her, changing up the structure of my house, doing something so permanent to my house for something that's a temporary situation. That's the same thing that we're doing with our bodies. Why would you change up something? Why would you change your heart and, and, and desire something worldly? Worldliness is, is it's fine. It's not fine. It's, it's fun for a season. And that's why we're, that's why we're attracted to it. But again, it's a sinful substitute for, for the real joyness. We need to be seeking that real joy. And maybe you've gotten in a situation to where it's just, you're, you feel stuck. You feel stuck in some of this sin. Uh, you don't know how to move forward, but we just, we gotta get there. And we can do it with the love of Jesus. Be in the word. Put your full faith in Jesus and, and, and you can overcome worldliness. <clears throat> Go back to Lot real fast. Um, he ended up being one of Sodom's civic leaders. He had worldly status, uh, influence, wealth, and comfort. He thrived in the city uh, and it was all taken away from him because the judgment of God came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot put all of his eggs in, in, in the wrong basket and, and it, everything on the world burned away. And that's what's gonna happen to our stuff too. Lot's story's not too uncommon from ours. The stuff of this world's gonna burn away someday. 
So don't put your eggs in the basket that's gonna burn. The good news here is that the, the last part of the sentence, we have a choice today that we can abide in a God that, that's forever. If we know God and we're walking with God, we have eternal life in heaven. Jesus is coming back. That's the good news this morning. To wrap up just kind of a bummer message of, you know, don't be of the world. Maybe it's not a bummer message. I take that back. It's not a bummer message. But Jesus is coming back. We're just pilgrims here. As I close this morning, I just... uh, I want to read just John 17, 14 through 19. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified by the truth. We're pilgrims of this world. We have to live in this world. We don't have to be of this world. And really, we need to be those lights. We need to be the people going out and rescuing these lost people that have just lost their way in this world, that are looking for sinful substitutes when right in front of them. The culture's telling them to go explore everything. You know what they're not telling them to go explore? The Bible, which is where the truth is. So if they're not getting it from culture, they need to get it from us. We have a, it, it, the, the beauty of this is it's our choice. You're gonna live for the present, the world. You're gonna live for what, what we have now. Are we, we're gonna live for the will of God and abide in him. And, and, and by doing so and abiding in him, we'll live forever. If you're just in a season right now where you're just living of the world, there's just a vice in this world, a sin that this just held on to you. Today's the day. Get rid of it. Repent. Stop living for the world and, and start living to please God. Start living to obey God. Not because we have to, because we get to because by doing so, our lives are gonna be so much better for it. By doing so, we're gonna receive that joyfulness, that true joyfulness, not the substitute, not the fake stuff, the real joy that only found in a relationship with Jesus. We're gonna take communion this morning. And I'm gonna invite you guys up as we do this last worship song. If you're a believer, if you're walking with Jesus this morning, if you have that relationship with Jesus, I invite you to come up and, and take communion and just remember what Jesus Christ did for us. We're getting close to Easter. 
It's all on our hearts. Some of us are partaking in Lent. Some of us are remembering the sacrifices Jesus made for us. And this morning, as we just remember that, um, just take some time to thank him for what he's done for us.